0: I'm going to kind of start as though I'm reading the notices. I hope you've all got a notice sheet, but I hope you don't read it too carefully. (laughs) The title is right One Father, One God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in love and purpose. Don't worry about the scripture. Worry about scripture, but not that scripture. So, what we thought we'd do as a series on the Trinity to start with for my one, we're going to do like a basic introduction to God our God as Trinity, to find out exactly who our God is and what his his purpose is in life, in creation, in salvation, in everything. We're going to take a good look at him and helicopter down onto various scriptures as we go through. But to start with, just a short clip. see it, Alan, or are we going to call you into the golden shot? Okay, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 we'll forward it through. Forward it through. Yeah. It was set up, honestly. <laughs> I would say forget it, but it, uh, what do you reckon? we Okay coming very slowly. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's bring this word to God. Our Heavenly Father, we we want to know you for who who you truly are. We want to know you, God, for who you truly are, existing as Father, Son, and Spirit. We want to know how that works. We want to know why that works we want to know you we love you we want to get to know you better and we pray through this message this morning that we will come to a greater knowledge of you we'll we'll come down on our knees when we realize just what you have done through us uh, for us through your love in Jesus name amen yeah if anybody's yeah we'll just go from the start we go if anybody's squeamish have you all the signed up? The sound is everything. No sound? We are we up? It's gotta come quick. Close your eyes for one second. Ooh. Right, Maurice. Let's try again, shall we? <clears throat> this is called adding. If I have two beans and then I add two more beans, what do I have? Some beans. <laughs> yes, and no. Let's try again, shall we? I have two beans, then I add two more beans. What does that make? A very small casserole. (laughs) Baldrick, the ape creatures of the Indus have mastered this. Now try again. One, two, three, four. So how many are there? Three. What? And that one. (laughs) Three and that one. So if I add that one to the three, what will I have? Oh, some beans. <laughs> yes, do you, Baldric? The Renaissance was just something that happened to other people, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> simple adding, simple mathematics. Have we ever got into a conversation where we're trying to explain the Trinity to somebody else, and you go round and round and round in circles? People just don't get it or don't want to get it. Simple mathematics. They'll say, "Well, you Christians, you think one plus one plus one equals one." how does that mathematics work strange it's really difficult sometimes to get across that message of our god as three in one but it is of utmost importance that we talk to people talk to ourselves and re- remember our god as trinity absolutely fundamental to creation and to salvation Now the word Trinity, people might say to you, isn't in the Bible. So why should we believe it? And that is absolutely true. The word Trinity is first found in the writings of Theophilus of Antioch in 180 AD. So it's not there in Scripture as a word. But it is God revealing himself in Trinity all throughout Scripture. That word may not be there, but he reveals himself as a triune God throughout scripture. So have you ever heard of examples of people trying to explain our God as Trinity? Perhaps you'd hear them say something like, well, what about our God as water, ice, and steam? All the same substance, but but there's three as one. Steam, ice, and water. Does that work? Does that really work? It can be slightly helpful. Why wouldn't that work? They're not at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. If one appears, the other one disappears. And that could lead people to think, and has led people to think, of the heresy called modalism, where God will appear in different modes. He'll appear as Jesus. He'll appear as the Father. He'll appear as the Spirit. But all one person. In different modes. Seems strange because it's all the way through <laughs> through Scripture. But that is what some people will see. Some people will tell you. So let's just have a look at one example where that cannot be true. It cannot be true. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. You can turn to it if you like. There's going to be a lot of turns, so you're going to have to have a bit of Bible gymnastics. But in Mark chapter 1 we see the baptism of Christ verses 9 to 12 at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan just as Jesus was coming up out of the water he saw heaven being torn open the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased The three people of our Godhead there at the same time. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father declaring. And the Father does declare, doesn't he? He declares a lot through Scripture about his Son. With you I am well pleased, he says at this time. What about... Another way of describing the Trinity. Have you ever heard somebody try and describe the the Trinity with an egg? Anybody heard that one? The Trinity is like an egg made up of three things, the shell, the white, and the yolk. How How does that not quite work? How do we think that might not quite work? I know very well because I don't like the white of an egg at all. They can be separated. They can be separated. You can take the shell away. You've still really got an egg. Take the white away and keep the yolk, which is what I do. You've still kind of got an egg, but you can have the one without the other. doesn't quite show our God. No, our God needs to be all present at the same time. If we think of God like that, three different substances, the danger is you can fall into yet another heresy, tritheism, three separate gods making up the Trinity. Three separate beings, but that's that's definitely not right. It's, It's often an accusation brought from others outside the church, actually, people who either refuse to accept the Trinity or fail to understand it as you're explaining to them. You're saying, God the Son... God the Spirit, God the Father, three separate gods. Muslims will especially try and wangle you up in this. Just doesn't, doesn't work though, does it? Our God is not separated at all. He is one. He is one. And this is absolutely vital if we're to understand our God in Trinity. The other thing is, obviously, the shell is made up of substances. Uh, Sorry, the egg. The shell, the white, and the yolk. Our God is made up of three persons within the Trinity. It's all very basic stuff, I know. But we see Jesus calling himself, the uh, the Father declaring Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus prays to the Father, tells us to pray, Father, and reveals a Father God to us. A person. What about the Spirit? Do we see the Spirit as the Jehovah's Witnesses will? They'll call the Spirit God's active force and not give a personhood at all to the Holy Spirit. But what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? In John 14, we read this. Jesus, Jesus says, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him. It neither sees Him nor or knows him. He personifies the Holy Spirit. Again, in John 16, we read, when he comes, Jesus declares, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is a person too. It's absolutely vital So what does the Father do? The Father wills something to happen within this, this Godhead. The Father wills something. The Son acts in obedience to the Father's will. The Holy Spirit applies the will of the Father and the Son. That's kind of how it works. And as we follow, follow on and go deeper into, into our talk, we'll find this out. So we've got a God that has revealed Himself as a triune God, three persons within one Godhead. We need to get a get an idea of how that works: Trinity in Unity, a triune God. Trinity in Unity. Unity is so important. That's why we can get passages like Deuteronomy six: "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one." Now the word there is. Ichad, and it does mean absolutely one singleness, and God is absolutely single in unity. But it can also mean one as a plurality, in one in purpose. Have a look at Genesis 2. Turn to Genesis 2. So, our God is one, absolutely one. In Genesis 2, the word echad is used again. It's used all the way through the Bible, but this is, this is quite an important one to see. Genesis 2, verse, tis, verse 24, when talking about marriage. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Absolutely singular. One flesh. Made up of two people. There's a plurality within that single number. There's a plurality within the Godhead. Absolute, unified, but different persons. So the Lord is one in both senses. He's a singular God, absolutely, but He's revealed to us as Trinity in unity. And because of that, he's one in purpose. If there there was any less than three people, as God has revealed it, that wouldn't mean we'd have a lesser God. It means there'd be no God at all. They're absolutely unified. Absolutely unified. You can't lose one and still have God. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of handiwork because I'm rubbish at PowerPoint. This is just one way I think a lot of you will know, will know this, but I'll show it anyway. How we can think of our God as triune. Not blank like this. Can anybody see this? I'll put it back down after. Here we go, just a very quick, I think it's called the shield of Trinity, or as I like to call it, the, it looks a bit like a spacecraft, so I call it the Sputnik. So we have, we have God. You have to excuse my writing. It is appalling. And we have a little spacecraft there. And we have... There we go. And we have Father. We have the Son. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we can write on all of these. Oh dear. Is. Is. Is and is so the father is god the son is god the holy spirit is god and then we can close that shield up like this there we go and what do we write there is not exactly is not is not and is not i really wish i was good at powerpoint okay so we've got the father is can everybody see that? Anybody want to see that? Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. It's just a little way, little diagram when, we, when we're discussing it with others to help get that idea. across. Oh, it's not too bad. Get that idea across. Let's pop that chair back. So I think we can safely say our God has revealed himself to us in his scripture to be Trinity, to be triune. So from this foundation, we can now push on and say two things, I think. I want to say two things anyway. Without a God in Trinity, creation doesn't make sense. That's the first thing. And the second thing, salvation could not and would not work without A triune God. So let's think about creation first. What was God doing before creation? Well, that's a question that many people asked, and people asked that to Martin Luther. And his answer was, he was asked, what what was God God doing before creation? And he said, making hell for people who ask difficult questions, (laughs) which is a great answer. That's Martin Luther all over. But what was God doing before creation? He was there before creation. Go right to the start, the very first words of our Bible. In the beginning, God. So what was he doing? He was existing within himself in a loving relationship. In John 17, Jesus says in his prayer, You loved me before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, the Father was loving the Son. So before creation, we have the Father. He's been revealed to us as Father because of his fatherly attributes. What is a father? He's he's life-giving, eternally giving life, begetting his Son, loving his Son, delighting in his Son. Because the Son has got the attributes of a perfect Son. Eternally loving His Father. Eternally being obedient to His Father's will. Delighting in His Father's will. Delighting in His Father's love for Him. And they do that through the Spirit. The Spirit eternally applying the love amongst them all. Delighting to be obedient to the Father and the Son. Showering that love within the Trinity. So our God eternally is in relationship. He's a loving, sharing, delighting, glorifying. There's glory within himself before creation even begins. That's who our God is. That's why John can write in his first letter. God is love. His essence is love. He's not loving. He is love. He's already got that attribute within himself it's who he is here's a question why did God create if we've looked at this loving relationship existing before creation why did God create he didn't need to create he doesn't need his creation he's already got that perfect existence within himself so why did he create what is his purpose Well, it follows that a relational, loving, giving, and sharing God would want to create a world for others to enjoy. He wants to share that love with others. That's why a triune God creates. He wants to share that love. He wants to bring people in to that love. He he knows it's such a perfect, delighting love. He's a father, always life-giving. That's why God created. He wants others to enjoy and participate in that love. To be in relation with him, to join in that wonderful, perfect relationship. He's saying, I've got this wonderful thing to share with you. This is the God we should be telling people about. Let's contrast that to a singular God. Can we think of a a singular God, a non triune God? He couldn't be love, he wouldn't have love existing within himself, he wouldn't be relational. He would not have worship within himself. So that God would be a needy God. He would need to create in order to get things from that creation, to get worship, to get worship from others. That's why he'd create. It's a God that would give rules, to obey, to bring him worship. He's a needy God. What does that mean? You're not a God at all. If you need God, what's the definition of God? An absolute perfect being. Doesn't need anything. It's not a God at all, but it's the God we see in Islam. I hope you're not going to mind. I'm going to read a couple of verses from the Quran to just contrast. This is what Allah says about himself. In the 112th chapter of the Holy Quran, Say, He is Allah, the one and only, Allah, the eternal absolute. He begets not, nor is He begotten. He's not a father. He's not in relation. And then in Surah 19, verses 35 to 36, it is not befitting the majesty of Allah that He should beget a son. Glory be to Him. When He determines a matter, He only says it to be, and it is. Verily, Allah is my Lord and your Lord, therefore serve him. He's a singular being. And as we've seen, not a God at all. Not, couldn't be a God at all. So we've seen how our God works in Trinity, as in creation. We've seen, we can see, actually in creation, the Trinity Working. Right at the start. When God creates, what do we see? We see the Father. Let's, let's open our Bibles. Genesis 1. Right at Genesis 1. Just before we leave creation. Right at the start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said let there be light so you've got god there you've got the father there willing creation to happen we hear right at the start of john of jesus being called the word the word became flesh and he was with him in the beginning god speaks things into ha- into action the word creates and the spirit is there hovering over the waters ready to apply that word in creation the trinity is actually there right at the start of our bible At the start of our Bible, so we've seen why God creates. He wants to share that love that He has within Himself with a people, a chosen people for Himself. chosen people from god in, jo- in uh, john 17 jesus says father i want those you have given me to be with me where i am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world he wants the people to be with him in relation with him so that's creation what about salvation With our triune God of love, we have a God who doesn't stay far from us in our sinful state, but one who graciously and mercifully comes down to us. One that walked on this fallen planet to save us from his absolute righteous anger. So we've we've thought of this God of love, absolute love. Why do we see him as angry too? As wrathful? Let's think about that again. We've been created by our loving God to share an eternity in relationship with him. He knows just how joyful an experience that is. How pure an experience that is. There's no higher joy than to have relation with him. Without him our sustainer, our creator. We don't even have the right to draw one more breath. He sustains life. And yet, the world turns its back on him. He's created this, delighting in himself. Wants to share this delight with us all. And yet we turn our back on him. The world turns his back on him. We turn our back to the purpose from which we've been made. An, uh, yes, an absolute righteous anger God has at that. Fury at our arrogance and our blindness, our stubbornness. Shunning what will truly make us happy. He knows what will make us happy. Making worldly, created things the object of our desires rather than the creator himself. Yes, he is rightly angry but willing to do something about it to fulfill his purpose at the start in creation, to have a people for himself, to share that love. His glory manifests itself fully in this, the redeeming of a people for himself. His purpose is complete, his will accomplished. That's what glorifies God, redeeming a people back to why he created them. But it could only happen with a triune God, with a God as Trinity. Let's think about it. If Jesus was just a man, no matter how perfect a man, how could just a man make atonement for past, present, and future sins? It doesn't make sense. It needs to be God on the cross, an eternal God. Yes, in the flesh, fully God and fully man, But only eternal God can atone for past, present, and future sins. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Only a God-man on the cross can relate and comfort us in our present sufferings and sins. He knows what we've been through by taking on flesh. In Hebrews 4, we read this in verses 14 to 16 about Jesus the great high priest. Therefore, since we have had a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah, if God isn't completing his provision of salvation for us by being the sacrifice, then guess what? We need to provide a sacrifice ourselves, and salvation falls apart. It turns out to be a salvation by works, not by grace. It has to be God on the cross. Otherwise it just collapses into salvation by works. We know we can't attain that. You look at the Ten Commandments, we can't do that. And it brings the cross into a full perspective. We've seen how loving that the that, that God is in Trinity. The horror of the Father seeing his son, his perfect son, tortured and killed for us. The love within the Trinity suspended for a while while God pours out his wrath. On his son who he absolutely adores and delights in. What love that is. But God wouldn't have it any other way. He wouldn't have it any other way. In Hebrews, further on in Hebrews, we read this. Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy of having a people, himself he wouldn't have it any other way so as we finish I'd like to just look through Jesus's final prayer before he was arrested so let's turn to John 17 I've touched on it a few times and we just helicopter down on a few a few passages that should help us sum up. So in John 17, verses 1 to 4, Jesus says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. In redemption, God is glorified. It brings absolute (coughs) glory to Him, even though it looked horrendous. It brings glory to God. Again, in verses 10 and 11. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them, through the redeeming of his people. And how, how, how do we get to know our God? How can we be sanctified through knowing all of this? Verses 16 to 17. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your truth is your word. We need to be sanctified. We need to be deep into our Bible, getting to know the love that God has for us. The righteous wrath that he has at people who shun him and want to go and tell others about him. Straight after that, we are to be a missional people. Verse 18. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We're to be missional. And there is a deep relationship between loving and sending. The famous passage, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He sent His Son to redeem it. In John 16, we see the Son sends the Spirit to us to apply that love to us so that we can be sent through the Great Commission to tell others of it. And why? Why? to bring about the purposes of God from the very beginning to have a people from himself for himself verses 23 and 26 they're explosive and they would be heretical it sound heretical if they weren't in scripture that we are to be loved by the father as much as the father loves the son it's amazing truth he wants to bring a people into that relationship, to be loved as much by the Father as He loves His Son. It's amazing stuff. What does that mean? We don't just get saved. We don't just get saved from death. We don't just get saved. We get God. We get Him. That's what redemption means. What joy (laughs) that is. What joy that is. we get god we get to be in that wonderful delighting beautiful relationship forever and ever and ever let's pray let's pray and think how we can we can apply these things that we've heard our heavenly father our god in trinity help us to be a people a people that mirror Yourself, a people in loving unity to show to others. Father, keep us sanctified by Your Word of truth. Give us a hunger and a thirst for the unrivaled joy of knowing You through reading Your Scriptures with the help of You, Holy Spirit, applying that Word of truth to us. Help us to be a missional church. Help us to be missional individuals, overflown with the joy of knowing an intimate relationship with you, our loving God, saved from darkness to light, saved from death to life, saved to be in relationship with you. Fill us with a passion, Lord, to tell others of our wonderful God, a God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.